Hello, I'm Elizabeth, an obsessive backyard gardener who might be able to offer you a couple of tips. And I'm Keith, a landscape consultant, and I'm also passionate about gardening. The one thing we both have in common is muddy muddy boots. I think many of our lovely listeners know that my husband Brett and I moved into a new home recently. The property, which is on an average size block, is set in a bushland area with so much beautiful wildlife around us. And I really would love to make the most of that and encourage the wildlife into our new garden. Obviously for me to enjoy, but also to provide a place where the birds and other animals can find food, shelter and have somewhere nice to visit. But where do I start? Well right here on today's podcast, of course, where the fabulous Keith is going to provide us all with a step-by-step guide to designing a garden for wildlife. Are you happy to do that, Keith? Oh, I am. Fabulous. In fact, I've already got a garden for wildlife at home. Well, then you're the right person to talk to. (laughs) Now, I've been fairly brutal with our garden so far, having removed just about everything from one section. So that area is prepped and ready to go. Mm -hmm. A family of magpies has already decided to make the garden its home and we have butcher birds, kookaburras and eastern rosellas who visit when obviously the magpies will allow them because they're quite bossy. Mm. Now, what's the first thing I need to do towards encouraging more wildlife into the garden, Keith? Well, there's lots of things you can do. Um, and it just it, that therefore is going to set up the whole theme about how, you, how you're going to have your garden, how you're going to build that garden. Um, one of the things that, that blew me away was when I was working uh, at the Diggers Club down in, in their, the botanic, their botanic garden section where it was originally just an open paddock, basically, mm. um, and they divided it all up and they planted all these different perennials, you know, to, to trial and test and all the rest of it. And because the perennials flower for so long, it just brought in so much in the way of bird life and and, and predatory insects and beneficial insects and butterflies and all this. And I couldn't believe just the transformation. I probably saw more um, bird life than I think I've ever seen in my whole life because it just drew them into that garden. Mm. And because the perennials flowered for, for so long, there was always something happening. It was mm. always a, a, an enticement for those little critters of any sort to come down and, and, and live and, and, and enjoy. Mm. You know, so that's one of the first things that you, you, know, you, you can look at is just what style of garden do you want to start off with, mm. um, whether it's going to be a perennial garden, therefore it can be a Mediterranean-type garden. Yes. Or you can go into a native garden. For instance, you know where you've got wonderful grevilleas and banksias. You've got some little small gums, hakeas, and there's an enormous range of hakeas that, that um, you know just flower for successional months, months and months on end. Perfect. Yeah. Well, and also, is it important to think about your local area and what grows well in your what, what naturally grows in your local area? Because then that's isn't that going to encourage the local wildlife or the local sort of Animals? Yeah. No. No. Well, I. Oh. No, I don't. Well, I don't think so. I mean, it's if you if you're providing a habitat and a source of food for those those animals, then they're, they're going to come. You know, grow it, and they shall come. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. All no. right. Well, because I don't really want. I don't really, on, honestly, want to have a locally. Nat- I mean, a native garden anyway. I do like the idea of having exotic flowering plants mm-hmm. as well. So what you're saying is fantastic. So. I uh, next next thing I need to think about is the layout. Yep. So I currently have a patch of open lawn, mm-hmm. 
funnily enough, we were just talking to Jim's mowing. We were. Jim from Jim's mowing yep. about lawns. Yep. That's another story. Um, should I hang on to that lawn or would you suggest that I plant the area out quite densely? I would, uh, I would probably plant it out. I, really? I, Get rid I, yeah, of it. I, I don't think there's a need for, for the lawn out in that, that, that area that we're talking about. It's, it's not a big area. Um, and you've got other surfaces that will provide, you know, the sort of things you, you'll get out of a lawn anyway. Okay. You know, you've got a you've got a pergola, you've got a, a table, you've got paving, you've got all that already out there. So it'd be nice to sort of have it rather than have a monoculture of, of a lawn area to put your veggie beds in mm-hmm. to that area. Mm-hmm. Um, you've already got some grasses in there already, which is terrific. Yeah, they're all starting to, to take off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they're going to provide you know seed you know for the, the little insects as well mm-hmm. that's already there and then you then we actually start thinking about the theme that you want to create mm-hmm. and i know from some of the conversations we've already had that you're thinking about a mediterranean type garden uh, yes mediterranean yeah. is, it would suit the style of house it i think would. that we have bought yeah. and also I'm, tr- I'm wanting to go sort of a bit more lower maintenance mm-hmm. if i can possibly do that and I'm, i believe that i can sort of Get that from a Mediterranean garden. You can. Once we've dealt, yeah, we've done you can. all the initial work. Yeah. So anyway, but but I do. I mean, we we need to look after the magpies. The magpies like open areas as well, so mm-hmm. that's something I need to consider as well. Uh, yeah, so there's lots to. Lots but you to can you can have that with um, by utilising something like granitic sand rather than than the grass, for instance. Okay, good. And the granitic sand doesn't doesn't limit you to to where and what you can do with it because you can actually plant into that granitic sand and have these little soft patches of either succulents or, you know, anything you, anything you like, you can plant into that and, I'm and so have excited. that. I'm yeah. so excited. Okay. Uh, now, in our last property, we weren't able to attract a lot of wildlife to the previous garden because mm-hmm. we had a lovely dog. Tinker mm-hmm. was with us. Yep. And so sadly, very sadly, she's no longer with us. But it does mean that we can now invite wildlife into the garden, not having a pet to harass every animal that wanders in. Yep. Now, for those people who do have pets, can you suggest ways that they can still invite wildlife into the garden? Yeah, you, you can by having having a, a series of, of um, successional type plantings where you've got you've got spaces for them to hide. So if you have, with your grasses you've already got over there, you're going to create a space that those animals can quickly, you know, hide into run away from the run pets. away from the from the pests. The pets, 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 and the pets pests. and the pests. Yep, yep. Yeah, um, and then of course you need some plants that are going to be off the ground so that they've got some you know lower branches that they can get up into. So the other things that you really need to consider yes. uh, um, as a source of water, and I think you've you've gone out and done that. We have what a lovely bird bath of magpies are loving. Um, and then you might want to think about having some rocks and some logs. Got lots of now. There are so many rocks in this garden that are driving me crazy. There mm. are massive boulders and things which I would like to get rid of, but I should hang on. I will hang on to some of yeah. those because they're great things for great areas for the the, the wildlife to Ooh, hide reptiles under. Reptiles and, yes. and things to live in, and, yes. and they can also be a, a you know a source of uh, food because there are the little insects and things be living in there. So yes. that's another great thing. Yep. Um, other things you can do for your wildlife are thinking about putting nesting boxes, yes. you know, hollow logs for. Um, now for habitat, bee so hotels. Bee hotel. Yeah, we can put you can put a bee hotel. I don't know how successful they are. Bee hotel. <laughs> An insect hotel. Perhaps not so much for the bees, for insects, spiders, and yeah. and other insects. Um, and then you can also think about you know putting in in plants that are going to provide um, berries and things like that for uh, for the insects. You know, there's a there's a plant that, that I quite like that's called Dianella revoluta. 
and uh, it's a strap-like foliage plant, but it produces these beautiful little fine flowers on, on long stems and then it has these iridescent purpley blue berries, mm. which are actually edible. Mm. Um, you know, our, the, the local um, Aboriginal tribes used to collect those yep. and eat them. It was yep. just a great source of, yep. of food and protein. Oh, and protein uh, goodness. <laughs> protein. <laughs> yeah. Now, avoiding any chemical pest control in the garden is essential yes. as it can be fatal to animals. What organic methods of pest control can you suggest, Keith? Well, if you're thinking about um, snails and slugs, for instance, there is a, a product that you can get that is certified organic. It uses a, a, a food-grade um, iron in it and it, it, it has a it, it's not not it won't be um, taken up by frogs or you know mm. little animals or even dogs it's it's a you know it's it's a one of these great products for that i can't remember exactly what it's called but okay. if, you, if you you can google it and find pet um pet friendly um baits for snails and slugs so you can use that um when you're establishing your garden, for instance, there's there's other wonderful methods you can use. If you don't want to go for um, like a snail bait, you can actually use a couple of different things. Beer in a cup or a saucer is a great source for attracting mm -hmm. snails and slugs. Yeah. Um, I had a I had a, a, a small infestation of earwigs, mm. which chew little holes in everything, um, and I made up my own little. Um, um, trap for that, and that was simply a little plastic container, round cylinder, round plastic container. I drilled some holes in around the top, and in that I put some soy sauce and a little bit of vegetable oil, mm. and I had that thing full in a week. Oh, so they're attracted to the, they, they the smell. Love, they 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 just love the the soy, and because it's a fermented product, okay, they love that sort of thing. Okay. So that was a great little trap. So okay. there's lots of organic ways that you can control things as well. I'm all, I always push on about um, neem oil. Yep. Eco neem, yep. um, so neem oil and eco neem mm -hmm. mixed together, mm. um, and you can spray that on things, and it becomes somewhat systemic, and that'll only kill those insects that suck and chew. Mm. You know, so that's another great way of, of you know, looking after your wildlife as well. Pyrethrum? No, no, I won't use pyrethrum unless unless it's really, really necessary. Okay, that's a contact spray because if you're spraying it and it happened to be you know, good beneficial insects around and that can drift onto them. That's okay. going to kill them as well. Okay. And the birds and reptiles, which will be in the garden, being a wildlife garden, should actually provide adequate control of some quite exactly. a lot of pests as well. So hopefully you won't even need to, no. to uh, resort to, to those other all. things as well. Now, mulching is very, very important in any garden, mm -hmm. but it's especially important in a wildlife garden as it provides a home for insects mm -hmm. while reducing weeds, as we know, and retaining moisture. Yep. Correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. What sort of mulch? Well, leaf litter is obviously, uh, you know, yes. going to be there yes. to start with. Well, there's a couple of ways that, that I look at it. Um, and, and you've seen my backyard, you know how, how that's all been set up. So I have all, all my fruit trees behind a hedge and I mulch that garden on a regular basis by all the cuttings and the branches and perennials and all that sort of stuff goes through a mulcher. And that's yep. just spread across the ground. And what I'm creating there is actually like a forest floor. Mm. You know, so it's all mm. the smaller particles and a good mix of, of, of green nitrogenous food and also the, the carbon content. So it balances the whole thing off. Mm -hmm. And you know, that, that backyard with those those fruit trees is could be up to about 150 mil thick. Mm. And when you peel that back, there is just so much happening in that in that little bit of soil. Mm-hmm. 
But we're going you know, to be talking here at your place, you know, we're going to be talking perhaps about using granitic sand. But we'll have amended the soil beneath that granitic sand before we put the granitic sand on. And that's also another fabulous product because it allows good air, air and, and water percolation through it. But there might be other sections of the garden that, you know, you want to put in a, in a more organic um, bark, like um, a fine pine bark, for instance. Okay, yeah. But you don't want to go to, a, to a, a real fine mulch because what can happen there is that those real fines in that mulch, in that mulch washes down through the, 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 you know, the, the profile so of the mulch and hits the, hits the soil and stays there and it dries out okay. and becomes hydrophobic. Okay. So it doesn't allow that water to percolate down through into it. All right, fantastic. And then when it comes to planting, we should have various layers of plantings for the, ben- for yeah. the, the, the beauty of the garden exactly. but also for the benefit of the, um, the, pe- the wildlife as yeah. well. So, so you have, have your ground covers and then behind your ground covers you might put some grasses, some ornamental grasses of some sort. And then up behind that, you'll have some smaller shrubs and then some taller shrubs behind that and then maybe some canopy plants above that, mm-hmm. you know, that'll all just tie that hole in and you give that, that wonderful constructed theme. It sounds just beautiful. It I sounds wait. so easy, doesn't it? I cannot wait. I'm looking out. We're looking out the window now. Well, no, it doesn't sound it. It sounds like a bit of labour, but it sounds – it'll be fantastic once it's done. But the moment we're looking out at a fence, mm. a fence and – and dirt that hasn't been amended in any way whatsoever. So there's a little bit of work to do, but I'm very excited, and I'm very excited when you're feeling because you're not feeling great. No, no, no. He's no. been a bit unwell with COVID. I'm Long Keith, COVID, yeah. Long yep. COVID. When he's better, I'm going to ask him a lot of questions <laughs> and get him out here. They are all fantastic suggestions. Thank you very much, Keith. We are so lucky, all of us, we're so lucky to have such a diverse range of wildlife in Australia. And as gardeners, we have a fantastic opportunity to create a garden to share with and help protect our native animals. So let's get started and let's encourage others to do the same. Thank you for listening to Muddy Boots. For more information on today's podcast, please go to muddyboots.net.au. And happy gardening.